Hey, it is great, though, to be here with you. Uh, it is an honor to be here as a family, as, as we get to just be in God's presence. And, and we believe that God is here, that he is present, that he is working. And I pray that God speaks to you. He speaks to me, whether we're here present, whether we're watching online today, tomorrow, into the future. Like we know we worship a speaking God. And, and, and we are praying for ears and hearts that listen. And uh, we, we're, it's fun. We're in the midst of a series, actually we're the last week of a series that we've gone through Lent called Spring Training. And every week we look at a different spiritual discipline and highlight it. Um, and we're not just doing that because we want to highlight it and say, cool, we did it. But we're highlighting these things because for all of us, because we're a family together, we want these things to be true in our lives. And so this morning we're going to be talking about Scripture and the spiritual discipline of Scripture. Um, and, and to start off our time, I want to ask a question. And, and when this question comes up on the screen, I don't want you to um, take your eyes off the question. I want you to actually focus on it and not just focus on the question, but think about what your answer might be right now to this question. And the question is this, what do you think God thinks about when he thinks about you? When God thinks about you, not the other, was it 8 billion people now in the world or something like that, okay? Like, the God we worship doesn't just throw us all in and think about all of us at the same time. He actually thinks about you specifically. And the question this morning that I want to ponder with us is, what do you think God thinks about when God thinks about you? And, and not to bury the headline or anything, but, but we believe that God's word is the best place that we can go to to learn what God thinks about when God thinks about us. Um, when Paul Hewson was 14, he was also thinking about this question in, in one respect or another. Uh, Paul Hewson uh, grew up and, uh, in, in an area and in a time in life where his life was chaotic. We've all been, most of us in this room have been 14 at one point or another, and we probably remember back to what life was like when we were 14. I mean, it's hard enough with all the changes and everything going on in your life. I mean, literally, you change more in your middle school years around 14 than any other time in your life other than your first two years. So, like, everything is changing, and it's just wild, just a wild time to be alive. And, and you're also aware of all those changes, unlike when you're zero to one or two years old. And so it, it's just like this, this just interesting time to be alive. And I also think it's like the coolest age ever. Well, Paul Hewson was 14, and his life was changing, but it was also just, it, it was a struggle because there was a lot of things that were painful going on in his life. There's trauma going on all around him in the community he lived in, um, but also his grandfather had just passed away. And Paul Hewson was really, Hewson was really close to his grandfather. And not only was he close to his grandfather, but at the funeral for his grandfather, his mother collapsed and six days later, she died. He never got to speak to her again. And not only to add to that, but he had a terrible relationship with his dad. And so Paul Houston's life was just one tragedy after another after another. You think if Paul Houston was going to answer the question about what God thinks about when he thinks about him, my guess is that he would probably say something to the effect of God doesn't really care about me. Or God doesn't even know I exist, or maybe God has totally forgotten about me, because if he hadn't, why would I be in the situation I'm in? That is, until Derek Rowan showed up in Paul Hewson's life. 
Derek Rowan was a friend of Paul's at his school, and Derek Rowan was somebody that loved Jesus. And not only was he somebody that loved Jesus, but he was somebody that wanted to take his love for Jesus and share it with other people. And Paul was very much influenced by Derek. Paul went on to talk about um, how Derek showed him a new side of God that he had never seen before. Paul said, Derek introduced me to the idea that God might be interested in the details of my life. You talk about a good friend, right? That God might be interested in the details of my life. He went on to say, he introduced me to the Bible and the words of the Bible uh, stepped off the page and followed me home. Isn't that cool? Like if if someone had a quote about you and the influence that that you have had on their life for Jesus, wouldn't you want those words to be some of the words that were shared that you made such an impact on someone's life that God spoke through you and, and, and used you for people to see the living scripture come alive in you? The words came off the page and followed me home, he said. To say Paul's life was changed would be a great understatement. And two years after Paul had this um, um, incredible like moment with Jesus where he trusted his life to God, two years later he did what a lot of teenage boys like to do. They started a band. And this band was actually pretty good. And they were so good that that they, they recorded their first album. And after they recorded their first album, like they were getting all this like publicity and all these people were like saying all these awesome things about this band. And what happened was, is that they were getting all this attention, but the people in their church and their Christian community pulled them aside and they said, man, we just don't think that you can be a band and be Christians at the same time. Okay, kind of an interesting thing to say. And so immediately the guitar player, who was incredible, quit. And Paul Houston was stuck with the decision too, and eventually he quit the band. And then eventually the manager pulled Paul and the guitar player together and the rest of the band because they were no longer a band. And and he opened up actually God's word. And he talked about what it meant to make commitments, what it meant for your yes to be a yes and your no to be a no. But these guys had made commitments that they were going to do this moving forward. They had signed contracts. He talked about not getting out of contracts and things like that. He, he opened up God's word in ways that they didn't know existed and spoke truth into their life. And the band came back together. And the band started performing. And Paul got a new nickname. Actually, Paul wasn't his nickname. Paul was his real name. But Paul got a nickname, and the nickname was Bono. And the band U2 formed again. And here's what Bono says. I was coming to see that the Bible was a door through which I could move with people who might otherwise stay put. I'm fixed to a rock, and that rock is Jesus. Friends, brothers and sisters, Like when we talk about God's call, when we talk about God's word, God's word is incredible and it was written to us to change our lives forever. And, and, and it doesn't highlight just people like me that are preachers. It highlights all of us when, when God places us in places where he wants us to take his word and to represent it to those around us. So whether you're a businessman or a woman or you're a teacher or you're a student or you're a pastor like me or whatever you do or wherever you go, God wants you to represent him. It's written all throughout scripture. And what we get to do when we represent God where he calls us to go 
is we get to help people think about the question, what do you think God thinks about you when he thinks about you? Because oftentimes God will use you in the places he's called you to go. He will use his word to speak through you, to help people see a side of Jesus that maybe they've never seen before. Here at Hillcrest, we believe that the Bible is powerful and that the Bible reveals who God is. So you want to see a picture of what God is like? Don't come to me. Come to the scripture first. You open up God's word and you get to see this picture of who God is. We learn about God's character. We learn about God's passions. We learn about God's desires. We learn about God's plans. We get to see the whole picture of who God is. He does not hide himself from us in his word. But the Bible also records the history of God's people. We get to see that at the beginning of Scripture, God breathed. He spoke the world into existence. Like he used his words that are now written, and written down through his Scriptures, but he used his words to create things. He used his words. I, I, I love, love the reality that a lot of times maybe you've heard people talk about um, original sin, how, how sin entered the world. But before original sin, you know what there was? What God's word says, there was original blessing. That when God thought about you, when he thought about you originally, when he first thought about you, it was original blessing before the original sin ever entered the scene. He saw everything he created. He called it what? Good. But when he created humankind, what did he say? It was what? Very good. It was this original blessing. And we see this picture of this original blessing that all throughout Scripture, from beginning to end, it's bookmarked with this theme called love, that God loves you, he pursues you, and he cares about you. And all throughout that book, you see story after story after story about the history of God's people and how God worked in and through them. But the, it's more than just a book on history. The Bible teaches us how to live our lives. We get to see all sorts of examples of how to live or maybe oftentimes also how not to live because they don't edit out the bad stuff. We get to see bad examples too. I love what Dallas Willard says. He says, one of the greatest needs today is for people to really see and really believe the things they already profess to see and believe. You see, the Bible teaches us how we should live our lives. We don't have to just wonder. We get to see examples of how to live our lives. The Bible is also this book that is filled with all sorts of wonderful history about how it was written. Like, for instance, did you know that the Bible was written over a 2,000-year span? And not only was it written over a 2,000-year span, but there were over 40 authors that helped author the book from all sorts of different walks of life, the educated, the uneducated, the Gentiles, the Jews, and most of them never knew each other. It was written in different moods as you read Scripture. You see times of deep joy, but also you see times of deep sadness. It was written in three different languages, Aramaic, Hebrew, and Greek. I love what 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17 says, all Scripture is God-breathed. We see that the scripture is written by the Holy Spirit. That all scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God, which is us, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. But the Bible is also active, and it's living. 
It's active and it's living. It's authoritative. It gets to speak into your life and my life. It gets to help us learn how to live, but it's also something that here at Hillcrest, we say this is our authority. So if we have ideas on how to do things or we have opinions on things, which we all do, we don't just live our lives based off our opinion. We open up God's word and we say, what does God's word say about this and how should we live our lives in such a way? Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is alive and it's active sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You see, Scripture is universal. It spans all cultures. It spans all times, all races, all people. It's, It's universal. It speaks to all places and all people. And it's also sacred because it's holy and it's 100% inspired by the word of God. That's what we believe here. And so what I want to do is um, I want to take a moment before we um, make it practical to talk about a tension, though, that I think we all need to come to grips with when it comes to Scripture. And this tension is real. This tension actually is, is um, yes, Scripture was written over a 2,000-year span, and, and it's something that, that um, you know, is, some would say it's an old book, Okay, but, but there, are, there are things about Scripture that we need to think about right now, and we need to uncover a tension that's happening in 2023, and the tension is this. The Barna Institute, which basically is kind of like the best place to go to for statistics um, that, that are relevant to today's day and age, the Barna Institute uh, uh, polled thousands and thousands of people that say they're followers of Jesus, And they've asked them all sorts of different questions, but one of the questions they asked them was about Scripture. And they asked people that claim to be followers of Jesus, um, how many of you, or what, like, like, do you, on a regular basis, on a weekly basis, or a daily basis, engage with Scripture? And the tension that I want to bring in front of us is this, is that only one out of six people that claim to be a follower of Jesus said that they regularly read and digest scripture. Friends, that's 18%. 18% of people in our community, in our country, that claim to be followers of Jesus so that they actively read God's word. And I think we would all agree that that is a problem. That's a problem. Maybe you've heard uh, the famous Brennan Manning quote. Uh, Brennan Manning's just this incredible author and, and theologian. Um, I actually was naive when I was growing up, and I thought DC Talk actually said this because I was a big DC Talk fan, and this was a quote in one of their uh, CDs back in the day, if I could date myself. But Brennan Manning says this, the greatest single cause of atheism is in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Friends, when we talk about Scripture, when we talk about engaging with Scripture, we're not just talking about um, a thing that we do where we just read Scripture and we move on to the next thing. That's not why Scripture was given to us. Scripture was given to us to change our life. And the only way it's going to change our life is when we read it, but we also engage with it and go live it out. Bono, one of the greatest rock stars of all time, somebody that absolutely loves Jesus with all his heart, soul, and mind, was not changed because he just read the Bible. He was changed because somebody got a hold of his life and somebody read the Bible and they put it into practice in front of him and and that drew him into who Jesus was. I promise you there are people in all of our lives 
that are counting on us to not just read scripture, but to also live it out, to put it into practice. Because when we don't, as that quote said, it's the great, as Brennan would say, it's the greatest single cause of atheism. And it's confusing to people. Or when we cherry pick verses from scripture, we just pick the ones that we're comfortable with, but we don't live it all out. God calls us to live it all out, to put it into practice. And one of the best passages, I think, where Jesus speaks into this is a passage that's very familiar to probably a lot of us, and it's from the book of Luke, and I want to read it and just share a couple words on it. And after I share a couple words on this passage, I want to close by talking about seven ways that I believe Hillcresters can engage with Scripture today, okay? But before we get to that, Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49 Jesus, to set this up, Jesus is speaking to people that are people that claim to be his followers. People that say, Jesus, I'm in. I want to learn more about you. It's the end of the Sermon on the Mount, a very famous uh, passage where Jesus is basically telling his followers, you want to know how to follow me? You want to know how to live the life I've called you to live? Do this. And so Jesus says these words to his followers. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Now, I don't know about you, but when I read scripture, I oftentimes like to pretend that I'm like there. I like to put myself in the situation and pretend that, that I'm there. So in this situation, I would pretend that I'm, I'm one of Jesus's followers and I'm sitting on a hill with him as he's sharing this. But man, this would be kind of an awkward moment if you were there with Jesus and he looked at you and he looked at me and he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but do not do what I say. It's almost like Jesus is speaking to the five out of six people in our country that, are, that claim to be followers of Jesus but aren't actively in God's word and living it out. He's looking at all of us and all of them saying, why do you talk a big talk but don't actually go and live out what I've called you to live out? He goes on to say, as for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and put them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid a foundation on rock. When a flood came and a storm struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the storm struck the house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Pretty strong words from Jesus. He's looking at his followers. Now, now the setting of this was, this, was a region where, where there, was, there was lots of sand, there was lots of rocks, there was lots of dirt. And what oftentimes happened in this area where Jesus is teaching is that the sand, over time, it was very dry, and the sand would become really, really hard. And it was very easy to mistake the sand for rock. And what people would do is they would oftentimes build their structure, foundation, or house on this quote-unquote rock that was really sand, thinking that it was going to be okay. And their structure would be beautiful. It would look nice. Like you would look at it and go, wow, what a beautiful house that is. But it was all dressing. It was all fake because there was no foundation to this house. It was just sitting on top of this sand. What Jesus was telling his followers was, do not be like that. Because he was using the example that people that live their lives where they hear my words and don't put them into practice, 
are like the people that build their house on what they think is solid ground, what they think is solid rock. So, but the people that do hear my words and put them into practice, they're the people that get there and they realize, man, this is, this is fool's gold. This is not real. This is not real. And they dig down beneath what, is the, what they think would be rock and they dig down and they get to bedrock and they attach their house to a foundation. And he's saying, you want to follow me? Attach your life to me and everything will change. You see, storms hit both houses, didn't they? I think sometimes we forget that when we read the scripture. Storms hit both houses. In this region, it was very common that the Jordan River would flood and the waters from the Jordan River would flow out and that house that was on what they thought was rock was really sand and when water hit it, it just, the house was gone. It was destroyed because it had no foundation, but the house that was attached to bedrock was gonna make it, it was gonna be fine. Because we, as followers of Jesus, we need God's word. We're dependent on God's word because there are storms coming to all of our lives. Just like Bono had storms when he was 14 and still has them today, when those storms hit, if we have a solid foundation in Jesus, it doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect, but it means that we have a foundation that we get to hold our life to. We have a foundation that will change everything. Because the God that spoke the world into existence, the God that created everything around us, the God that looked at you and me and said, man, that is very, very good. The God that has loved us, that has pursued our life no matter what, he's the God that is with us through it all. And Jesus is saying, please do not be a person that looks good on the outside but doesn't do anything about what's going on on the inside, that doesn't attach their life to a foundation. Kind of goes back to our original question. What do you think God thinks about when God thinks about you? So what I want to do is I want to close by talking about just seven practical steps that I believe every one of us in this room can take when it comes to engaging with Scripture, attaching our life to a foundation. And all I want to ask you to do is, is if you want to be like an overachiever and do all seven, go for it. Okay, but maybe for today's sake, what if you just picked one of these? Like, what if, you, what if you just picked one of these seven and said, you know what, I'm going to try that this week. I'm going to try that this week because I want to change the statistic because that's what, that's what I hope happens here. I hope that we don't just go, well, I'm the one, so it's going to be fine. No, I want, I want us to be people that change the statistics. So when Barna starts doing their research again, because of the way you and I engage with Scripture, it actually infiltrates and it, it makes an influence on other people around us. So these numbers shift and they change because what the world doesn't need is for a bunch of people from Hillcrest and other churches to go out and to not put God's word into practice. It's confusing and it's frustrating for a lot of people. And I think, honestly, Jesus spoke against it all the time. And I, I think that needs to be taken in. So seven ways that I believe every Hillcrester can put into practice what it means to engage with Scripture. The first way is to read it out loud to read it out loud. As we read scripture, as we dive into scripture, sometimes it's helpful when, when we read it to just speak it out loud. This is one that's helpful for me. When I can hear my voice, it helps me remember it and it helps me hold on to it better. Reading the Bible audibly brings a different benefit to our life than just reading it silently. Another way we can engage scripture, again, our hope would be that you just pick one of these. Again, you can do more if you want. That's totally cool, but hopefully at least one. The second way is to read it with others. 
So the first way is to read it out loud. The second way is to read it to others. Reading the Bible with others strengthens your faith. This is why small groups are so much a part of like who we are as a church. No matter your age, whether you're a child, a student, an adult, we are hoping that all of you are a part of a group so that you can read scripture with other people so that you can encourage each other with God's word. It is so important and it's so helpful. The third way is to pray it. The third way is to pray it. Sometimes we struggle with maybe reading it out loud. Sometimes we struggle with even prayer. And sometimes it's just helpful when we read text to just pray the text, to trust it. I mean, Jesus taught his disciples to pray by giving them specific ways to pray that's found in Scripture. So why would we not do the same? When we pray God's word today, we declare and we meditate on God's unchanging truth and the promises that he has for the world. The fourth way that I believe each of us could better engage with Scripture, and I, I'm, I'll just be honest with you, this next one, I, this isn't me, okay? I'm probably not going to be doing this. You don't want me to be around me if I'm doing this, but for a lot of you, this might be really helpful. It's sing it. Do you know that there's at least 185 songs in Scripture all throughout Scripture, 185 places where you find songs in Scripture. The book of Psalms is like the chief hymnal of the Bible, and it's packed full of different places and, and different songs and Scripture that was put to music. Throughout the ages, God's people have been stirred, strengthened, and spurred in their faith as they savor the Word of God through singing different passages. Maybe that might be a helpful way for you to engage Scripture. The fifth way that I believe that we can engage better with Scripture is keep it visible. Keep it visible. In Deuteronomy 6, 9, it says this, Tie them as a symbol on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door fronts of your houses and on your gates. You see, God knows how easily distracted all of us are, especially in today's day and age. And having Scripture visible can be really helpful for us. It can be a helpful reminder for us when we see it of what is true, what is unchanging, and what is very helpful for the moment that we're in. Filling our lives and our homes with his word can be the very thing that God uses to speak deeply to our hearts and to our souls. Number six is to memorize it. To memorize it. Now, I'll be honest, if I can confess something, I was way better and more motivated to, to memorize scripture when I was in youth group growing up, when I was a kid. And I always wonder, like, why is it that, like, it's so important for kids, for us adults to tell kids it's important to memorize scripture, but oftentimes us adults forget about it. But I'm telling you, the beauty of memorizing scripture is that it's forever yours. It's forever yours. Like when you memorize scripture, like God is so amazing at reminding us of what we memorize at the very right moment. Sometimes we're struggling and, and a verse that we've memorized a long time ago comes to mind. Sometimes when we're helping someone through a hard time, like God brings that to memory. Like when we memorize scripture, it is, again, it's alive. And it's, it's well, it's speaking to us and through us. And when we memorize scripture, like God uses us, use it, uses it to speak to our hearts, to bless other people, to battle temptation, to be strengthened, to live in freedom. Like God is just, it's amazing what he does when we engage with him through just memorizing scripture. 
And last but not least, number seven is to live it out. James 1, says, do not merely listen to the word, but do what it says. Actions speak louder than words. We know that that's true, and Jesus said it. He's like, don't just speak about me, but go put it into action. Knowing what the Bible says and what the Bible says about us is incredibly important and can spur us on to be the people that God has called us to live. So Hillcrest, as a church based on the question, where is it written? I want to encourage you and I want to encourage us to be known as a church that's known as a place that is absolutely in love with God's word, all of it that is absolutely 100% committed to following it wherever it calls us to go. Not just cherry-picking what we like and what we don't like, but we say, no, we're all in for all of it. Because when we want to know what God thinks about us, when God thinks about us, it's not hard to find. And I want to pray over all of us right now as we close and as we move into this uh, a song right now. But I want to pray that, 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 what, that God does something in each of us. You know, as you walked in today, you were given a card that talks about, um, that says Hillcrest Holy Week in the scriptures. And again, that was given to you to take with you because we want to be committed to reading scripture together this week. As we think about preparing our lives and as we think about preparing um, to be who the people God has called us to be, man, Holy Week is an incredible time to get our hearts and our minds and everything focused where it needs to be focused. And so we want to invite you to take that card with you and just to together find time each day to read through these scripture passages and ask God to make these passages come alive in our life and to go live them out and put them into practice. It's a practical thing to do, but I think it's also a very helpful thing to do. So let me pray for us. And I've got one more word to say. <coughs> Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Lord, thank you for everyone that's here. And Lord, thank you for the ways that you work in our lives. God, thank you that you didn't just leave us alone, but Lord, you left us with your words. And Lord, as we celebrate the fact that your word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us, as we see in the New Testament, Lord, we pray, Father, that your word would come alive in our lives. God, that your word would convict us. Your word would challenge us. Your word would speak through us, not because we have anything to say, but, Lord, you have something to say. And, Lord, just like Bono's life was changed because of the ways that your word spoke through others, Lord, we pray that other people around us, their lives would be changed because of the way your word speaks through us. And when your word speaks through us, Lord, may you be the one that gets all the glory. Lord, we want none of it. We just want it to be you. Lord, we pray this all in your name. Amen. So as we sing this song, we have a tradition here at Hillcrest where our kids come waving palms, and it's cute, okay? It's super cute. It's super awesome. It puts smiles on, everyone else's, on, on everyone's faces. But there's a lot of symbolism that goes on behind it as well. We actually see in God's word that, that when Jesus, um, on, on, the, on Holy Week, on this day, entered Jerusalem, people met him waving palms. And they met him waving palms because 
They believed that Jesus, they were shouting the word Hosanna, which means save us now. They believed Jesus had come to save them and they're waving palms, welcoming him like they had done other people in the past. Jesus wasn't the first. Unfortunately, though, a lot of people, there was a tension there too because a lot of people had this idea that Jesus was coming because he was this conquering hero that was coming to help overthrow the Romans. But if you notice, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, he didn't come in riding a big horse, symbolizing I've come to conquer the Romans. He came in riding a what? A donkey, because he had come in peace. He had come not to overthrow a government, but he had come to be the savior of the world. And so as you see the kids waving palms, I want to encourage you to do a couple things. Number one is pray for the kids as you see them, but also think about your own life. What is your life declaring? When you're saying, Jesus, save me now, like, do you want Jesus to bail you out of some circumstance or situation you're in? Or do you truly want him to be the savior of your life? My prayer, that, prayer for you is that it would be the latter, that your life would be a life that represents Jesus. And I want you to know that what God thinks about you, which he does often, he loves you, he cares about you, and he created you to have a relationship with him. And so our hope and prayer would be that you, in that moment that you would think about that relationship. And if you want to talk more about what it would look like to walk with Jesus, to follow him the rest of your life, there's going to be people after the service that would love to meet you with you, pray with you, find a staff person. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make. And we want to encourage you to make that. So we're going to sing a song now and uh, get ready to smile because it's pretty awesome. Thanks so much for being here this morning. Just pray that God will bless you as you go, and we'll see you next Sunday. Amen.